So you just you always have to like pivot. You uh, you know, as the as the old uh, the U.S. Marines, you have to improvise, overcome, and adapt. Um, you have to just figure out what's next. What can I do? Uh, and there's just you know, I feel like my life has been nothing but that. Trying to figure out, okay, well, that's not working. Let's try this. Let's try that. And you know, you eventually keep slugging along, something will click, something will happen, you know. Welcome to the Bold Brush Show, where we believe that fortune favors the bold brush. My name is Laura Arangel Bayer, and I'm your host. For those of you who are new to the podcast, we are a podcast that covers art marketing techniques and all sorts of business tips specifically to help artists learn to better sell their work. We interview artists at all stages of their careers, as well as others who are in careers tied to the art world in order to hear their advice and insights. On today's episode, we sat down with Tony Pro, a Western realist artist with a deep love for the West and with deep roots in it as well. Tony tells us all about his education as an illustrator and the advantages illustration affords realist painters like him, why knowing how a gallery works inside and out is necessary if you want to sell your work with one, and why being an artist is all about improvising, overcoming, and adapting, both in the canvas and outside of the canvas business-wise. Finally, he tells us about his online art academy, Zoroya, and the upcoming Night of Artists show at the Briscoe Museum in March 2024. Welcome, Tony, to the Bold Brush Show. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Great. I'm excited to have you on uh, because you have really lovely and inspiring work. I've been browsing your page, I think, for the past two days, just looking at your paintings, and I absolutely love how they incorporate so much color and vibrancy and they retain that realism to them, which I really want to dive into maybe why that could be. But before we do, do you mind telling us a bit about who you are and what you do? Well, sure. Um, so I, I've been a, a professional artist for probably well, a little over 20 years now. Um, I grew up uh, in Los Angeles area. Uh, in the United States, um, and I was trained um, as uh, I went to uh, went to college um, for a graphic design degree, and at the same time, I was studying to um, I was studying how to draw and, and sketch for the purpose of uh, doing movie poster work. And um, so I, I studied at the California Art Institute. Um, under the tutelage of Glenn Orbick, who uh, has uh, unfortunately been gone for over eight years now. He passed away of cancer. And uh, maybe it's actually it's been almost 10 years. Um, so I studied with Glenn um, for about five years, just strict academic uh, figure drawing, head drawing, charcoal pencil only. Um, and it was uh, it was a method that, that I that he was teaching that that school was well known for, which was started by its founder, uh, Fred Fixler, and, and um, Glenn was a student of uh, Fred Fixler, as was my brother, my older brother, and they were in class together. And my dad also studied with Fred Fixler a little bit too when he picked that up as a hobby. But Fred Fixler was a student of um, Frank J. Riley who was known for um, teaching at the Art Students League in New York. And he uh, taught a very specific method of drawing, 
which became the Riley method. And the Riley method is a, um, a system of drawing that is, um, it looks for uh, long, dynamic, rhythmical relationships within the human head and within the human body. And um, so it's not, you know, kind of, uh, you know, some other drawing methods or um, figure drawing type ways of figure drawing, like, you know, George Bridgman taught very blocky, very like mechanical uh, type of um you know, drawing method, whereas, um, and even though they were colleagues at the Art Students League, I think they were there at different times, though. Um, Riley's method was uh, a, more about long lines that you can see through the body and see through the head and you can relate things. And it, and it, and it made for a much more well-designed figure, a much more well-designed head. And a lot of that, you know, I use, I use the Riley method even though I wasn't taught, I wasn't taught to see it in horses or mountains or anything like that. You you can translate it very easily into other things. It's just a, a way of seeing, like as you know, like part of the biggest process of becoming um, a, an artist or a draftsman is learning how to see. And so that's so that's kind of you know what we were taught to do there, and what we were you know, and then it was a very um, a very serious school, a very serious environment, the sense of everyone was kind of competing with each other to get better, you know, and get, get those drawings up on the wall that, you know, the wall was like being, um, you know, it was like a, it was like a weekly privilege. If you got your drawing on the wall, it was like, you know, you kind of made it. And I didn't get my drawings on the wall as often as some of the other guys, like, um, you know, Jeremy Lipking was there. Um, and, um, this other guy, Ryan Wormser, who was always great. And, uh, you know, so there were several guys in my class that, that turned out really well. And then um, other artists like Aaron Westerberg came along later. Aaron was studying with uh, one of Glenn's students down in San Diego, but he ended up coming up and, and working with Glenn for a bit. And um, Joseph Dodorovich was there and uh, Rick Morris. We had a lot of really stellar artists come through our school. And so I stayed there about five years and then I started teaching there as well. Um, and then at the same time, I was basically just learning uh, painting on my own. Um, I would watch some of the painting classes and then I would, um, you know, I just, I read a lot of books. I watched a lot of um, painting demonstrations. This was all prior to YouTube, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a lot easier these days to to be an art student and to learn how to paint and draw because of social media and, you know, the amount of content that's out there. We didn't have that. Um, you know, we had, I had VH old bootleg VHS tapes of like Richard Schmidt demonstrations and that kind of thing. And so that was, that was kind of my, um, that was my education of painting. And then of course my older brother and my dad were, you know, my older brother's an illustrator. Uh, a very um, successful one. He's now, a, he's been working in um, in theme park design. And so he's an Imagineer for Disney. And, um, but he's 10 years older than I am. So, so he already went, he had gone through the, the, the drawing and painting program under Fred Fixler. So he was kind of like my at home, you know, or on the weekends, he'd come by and, 
you know, do club me around if I was doing things wrong or whatever. But, um, so, uh, so that was kind of where I started and, you know, that process, it was a long process because at the same time I was also working professionally in, um, in the graphic design world. I, I went into entertainment, uh, specifically when I lived in LA. And, uh, so I worked for various, um, uh, design agencies, ad agencies that that specialized in the entertainment work that worked for all the various studios, and um, and then I eventually went to work for the movie studios themselves. So I worked at MGM for about five years, and then I I went over to Sony Pictures for a while, and uh, you know that was all a fun experience. And but at the same time, I was basically just working all day, and then drawing painting into late at night um you know and then of course on the weekends i was um, going out plein air painting on the weekends and that was what was teaching me color uh Mm -hmm. and learning how to see color and then taking all that information that you're looking at outside and trying to you know digest it onto a a nine by 12 canvas you know (laughs) and that's and that was that was that was probably one of like the most difficult things to learn Um, and it's still, of course, a challenge, uh, to, you know, create a a really well done landscape. I find landscape is much more difficult than, than doing a figure painting or a a head painting. Um, (laughs) but, uh, so, you know, and that, and that, that, that was, uh, you know, over the course of about 10 years, that process was, you know, just kind of working and then just constantly, you know, working at it. And then, um, then I started uh, in about 2003, I got my first chance to get in a gallery and it was by accident. Actually, it was the gallery that um, Jeremy Lipking and first started in and other guys that I went to school with. And, um, you know, so, I mean, Sean Cheatham was there, a bunch of different, you know, really great artists. That's where that was like their first place to show. Uh, in, it was a, a gallery called Morseburg gallery in West Hollywood. And, um, my, my, I was bugging my friend, you know, you gotta get my work in there, get my work in there. And at the time it was just drawings. Um, and so he talked to the gallery owner and so the gallery owner thought that I was my older brother. So he said, yes, thinking that he was getting somebody who was 10 years older and was going to get more refined works. And I brought my work in and he's like, Oh, okay. He's like, wow. He's like, you know, where's the paintings? <laughs> like, well, I'm still working on that. And he was like, oh, okay. And then he realized I wasn't who he thought I was. So, mm-hmm. but anyways, but he was in a predicament anyways. So, uh, so he had to uh, basically, you know, put me in, he didn't want to let me down. So, and it was yeah. fine. It was an interesting, it was an interesting first time in a gallery. I think he maybe only sold about two pieces of mine. Um, and I was only paid for one of them. He was a terrible businessman. Uh, he was very, uh, he was a very in, um, intelligent art historian, but he was just terrible at running business. Um, and he eventually uh, went out of business because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, it was all, basically student work that I had in there. So it wasn't, it wasn't anything great, uh, but it was interesting. It was an interesting process to get into. And, uh, 
and then, you know, so from there it, it, it kind of just, uh, you know, I just was, it had been just years and years of repetition of just, you know, always trying to figure out what to paint and what inspired me. And then all along, it's just, I, I really was loving painting outdoors and, um, to which I don't, these days I haven't, I haven't planned or painted outdoors in, in years. Um, just because it's, you know, the older I got, um, you know, the more irritating it became because of bugs and, you know, and here in Texas, it's the weather's not as nice mm -hmm. in Texas as it is in California. So, yeah. you know, it's either too hot or too cold, too many bugs. I'm like, eh, I'll do it from inside a window or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, so that was, that's kind of my background a bit and, and, and where I'm from. So even further back than that, my parents were, um, art collectors. Um, they specifically, they collected, uh, American Western art, you know, the art of the West and kind of like, like the stuff I do now. Um, that's what I was raised around. Um, every year my dad would, my parents would attend the, um, the big Cowboy Artists of America show, uh, which at that time was in Phoenix. Um, and, uh, so I was around, you know, I was always this, this little kid who was around all these, you know, Western artists and, you know, and then my mom used to deal in, um, Native American jewelry, um, Native American pottery. Uh, she also dealt with, um, dealt, you know, had a, uh, antique shop. So she sold, you know, largely just turn of the century or early, early 20th century antiques. And so my childhood was based around them. You know, we would go all over the country, the, the United States. Um, and we would go to this art show and that art show, this museum, uh, this antique show store, that antique store. And then um, we'd also spent a lot of time on the Indian reservations, the native uh, Indian reservations, particularly the Navajo and the Hopi, um, where my, um, my parents would trade with them you know, they would, and they would, they basically buy, you know, rugs, pottery, um, baskets, uh, you know, and of course they, you know, the, the Native Americans need, you know, they need money. And so, um, and, but it was interesting as a kid to go into these kind of things because I didn't know what, what the hell was going on. And I don't know, I didn't, you know, I realized that they were Indians and, and, you know, you learn about them in school and then what, how you learned about them in school in the seventies was completely different when you're actually there on the reservation and you're seeing how they live and how difficult it is for them still. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, that, and unfortunately in some, in some, um, nations that hasn't changed, um, there's some, there's some pretty tough, uh, Navajo communities. Um, and there's other ones that have kind of done better, but, um, so anyway, so that, but that was my, largely my childhood. And, and my parents' house was kind of like, you know, all my, you know, I'd have friends come over and they said, wow, your house is like a museum. There's so much old stuff, you know, it was old stuff. There was a lot of paintings. So it's really all I knew. It's really mm -hmm. how I was raised. And so that pretty much um, formed the way I, uh, the subject matter I chose to, to stick with. Um, you know, I, I went through a long period of time in my career just painting, you know, just pretty scenes and, and you know, scenes of beauty. And, 
um, you know, pretty, you know, pretty ladies by a, you know, pretty woman by a, a train station or, or just, you know, kind of, kind of what everybody else was doing and kind of what I thought, you know, people wanted and, and, um, you know, you get to a realization in your career where you, you, the, the, the reaction to your work and how it sells kind of dictates where you go, uh, career wise. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, I wasn't, I'm not going to say I was wildly successful at, at that because there were certainly a lot of other artists that were doing it better than I was, but I got a lot of attention. I got, you know, some good, you know, I won some awards here and there, which, you know, it was great at the time, but they're virtually meaningless to me now. Um, but, uh, you know, and, you know, you get in the magazines and this kind of thing. And it was just, it was very different when I first started out. There was no Facebook. There's no Instagram. There was none of that. So um, it was a little easier to actually get noticed because if you knew people and you, and you really put your work out there, like I was like for a while there, I was, I was putting my, um, I was entering a lot of competitions, a lot of shows, was sending my work all the time to magazines with slides. Mm -hmm. And it's because I knew how to do it. And I had the kind of the time to do it because I went through a lot of downtime in my office, you know, in, in, you know, when there'd be some downtime, I had plenty of time. So I would do it. And so, you know, you kind of get the magazines start taking notice and that's, that's kind of how you get, you got notoriety back then. Well, these days that's virtually like, I mean, these days it's like going viral is the way to get, you know, online, of course, is the way to get notoriety. Now that kind of doesn't always translate to sales though. You know, yeah. you, you can have a huge online presence uh, and be, you know, this huge, you know, uh, person on TikTok or whatever, but it doesn't mean you're going to sell well in a gallery because it's two completely different, two completely different consumers of your art. And so um, it's taken me a long time to learn this stuff as, as it would anybody else. A lot of trial and error, uh, a lot of blood, sweat, tears, all the above. And um, so, but I, but I landed on what I'm doing now because, you know, my dad passed away about 10 years ago. And my mom passed away um, two years ago, a little over two years ago. Um, and I, and I decided to just really stick with just the, the art of the American West Um mm. Partly as an homage to him. Um, and then, you know, on the other end, I said, I just enjoy it. And it's what I know. It, it's what I grew up with. And I love, I love, um, I love everything about the West, the desert. Um, you know, visiting uh, places like New Mexico and Arizona and Utah, um, even Wyoming. Um, it's, it's, it, it definitely kind of beckons something in me um and so and and just the vibrancy of the color of the west you know the 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 oranges and reds of of um you know the mountainside and the sun versus the the you know the contrast the blue skies and all that um i think it lends itself to a really good uh painting you know um so so that's kind of what drew me into that genre and why and why i stick with it and 
and I enjoy it. You know, I mean, I, I just made a trip um, this a couple months ago to uh, to Santa Fe and Taos area. I hadn't been since I was there with my my uh, parents, mm-hmm. um, and you know, went through the Nikolai Fashion Museum again, and and that was great. Of course, I mean, I've been such a fan of his work since I can remember, and uh, I visited that place when I was a kid as well as Irving Kaus's um, studio. Um, and so it was neat to just kind of go back and, and see it all again. And, of course, I started showing there uh, in Santa Fe um, just at the end of, well, just at the end of August, I started there. So, so far, it's been it's going pretty well, um, fortunately. I'm going to knock on wood here because <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. But, uh yeah. <laughs> You know, the gallery thing has just been, you know, it's tough Um, with some galleries that, you know, I can be in gallery for a long time. You do, you go through spurts of doing well, and then you'll go through these like absolute dry stages. And I think with a lot of galleries, um, you know, a lot of galleries are, they're going to promote who the, who the most popular people are in their stable, because they're Mm -hmm. the ones that get the highest amount of money for their work. Or they sell, they're the most prolific and they sell the most. So mm-hmm. they're only going to, so if you're in a gallery that has a high amount of a, a, a large artist roster, uh, they're going to promote, um, you know, the top people. And mm-hmm. so typically, you know, it's, it, it's always n- nice as an artist to be in a gallery that has like a really like, you know, like you're in a gallery of like really well-known artists, but that's, not always a good advantage. <laughs> it mm. might be, um, it might be uh, something for your own ego. Say, well, I'm in a gallery with so and so, or I'm in a gallery with this person. But the problem is, is that they're going to sell that artist's work before yours because right. they're motivated to. So, and that's typically what you see. That's what I've seen in almost every gallery I've been in, and. Uh, you know, I learned that lesson, um, you know, years ago, and I still continue to get reminded of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's kind of a catch-22. Like, you know, it's like, you you know, if you go into a lower-end gallery where you're the bigger name, but they don't get the amount of collectors that walk in there. So, you right. know, that's kind of weird. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's an interesting, but, but, but you can kind of feel your way through it. And you'll see what people are attracted to, you know. Um, and the other thing is, of course, spending time. You know, when I know when I was in Santa Fe, and I, you know, I was there for maybe forty-five minutes in the gallery when I was dropping work off. Um, I met several collectors that had come in and out just when I happened to be there, and it's just interesting to hear what people are looking at and what they like in my work. In fact, I had sold one. One one little one that I brought, it sold within 15 minutes of me being there by mm. somebody who was just there randomly looking. So it was interesting. And as an artist, I think it's good for for the, um, you know, go visit your galleries. You know, if you're in a gallery that's in another part of the country or the world, it's very important to go visit that gallery physically. Um, and I show at a gallery up here in Fredericksburg which is, you know, an hour from here at Insight Gallery. 
very big gallery, lots of artists, lots of very successful artists show there. So I'm kind of a little lower on the totem pole there, but, um, but it's interesting. I go to a lot of shows that they have there and I see what, you know, I see what other, what the collectors are looking at in other people's work. So I learn a lot from that. And I think, I think artists can really learn a lot by just attending other artists shows and just watching people, watching the collectors, watching people, how they react to the work, watching the gallerists or the gallery owners, how they handle things and what they're doing. There's a lot to be learned from that, you know, and just, you know, I go and I'll look at the work for a bit, but I, I usually just watch people and I watch what's happening. So yeah. I just, I'm a people watcher. <laughs> but Sorry, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here taking up all the, the airspace here. So, Oh no, you're dropping so many, so many wonderful gems there because um, you're not the first person who's told me about, you know, how the gallery game is pretty complex and oftentimes they will have a large roster of like artists uh, in their list and, it, you know, it doesn't always work, um, especially now with social media. I feel like social media has really changed the game um, in so many ways. It has, uh, you know, it's almost divided the art world a little bit in, you know, the artists who sell on their own online and then the artists who really, really love the galleries um, and some people who do both. Right. Um, but it's good to to really if you do want to be in the gallery game, right, if you do want to be a gallery artist then yeah, I think following, you know, seeing what other artists are doing and listening and paying attention and observing how mm -hmm. the gallery works and how the gallerist sells, it can make a huge difference. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I, I've heard so many things about, you know, good things, bad things about galleries. And one of the things that I find most interesting is, you know, so much of the sale falls on the shoulders of the galleries, right? And the people who work there mm -hmm. to be sure to connect the artists with the correct collectors. Um, and that can make or break, you know, your career in a lot of ways. You know, if if you right, decide to right. stay with that gallery or if you decide to leave and be like, okay, give me all my work back because, you know, you're not really selling. Um, right. You know, that, that can, you know, that's a very big important thing to take into consideration because you're entering into a deal with this gallery right they right. obviously it's a business they want to sell stuff you want to sell stuff uh so it's a little bit uh not great when they don't sell right i mean they can't always com control the market but i think a very good gallerist should always also be aware of where to look right they shouldn't just be saying like right. oh yeah i'm a gallerist you know or like oh yeah i love right. art it's like yeah you can love art but you have to sell it right you have to you right. know get in sure. the mindset of a business um so I think it's a great tip to, you know, as an artist, also be aware of how it works. That way you don't get blindsided when, you know, things right. don't work out, which happens, I would say, a lot more frequently than uh, than you'd expect, at least from, you know, the artists that I've spoken to who have worked with galleries long term and have changed galleries and have had galleries also who have been with them their entire careers. I've heard a lot of that same stuff. Um, but that's the first time I hear about, you know, paying close attention to what the other people are doing. Um, I think that's that's right. a really great one. For um, sure. And then the, yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I find interesting too, and I uh, I love how you accidentally got into a gallery and I, I think yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it makes such a good story, but also um, it gave you that opportunity 
to really see what what it can be like uh unfortunately you know with the state of that gallery not being the best and that you know the gallery is not really being that great um but it really sets a an example of oh this is not how it's supposed to be (laughs) um yeah yeah. it's very important too to to just and keep in you know and with social media these days it's so much easier but because we didn't have this as much back then but Mm -hmm. if you're looking to get into a gallery or if you have or if, or if you see, you know, if there's a gallery that you're interested in um, or a gallery approaches you, talk to somebody else on their roster, you know, mm-hmm. or at least at least two to three other artists that, that that gallery represents. Ask them, you know, point blank, how are they to work with? How are they, you know, how soon do they pay you if they sell something? How do they promote your work? Uh, because I'm telling you, I've been burned by so many bad galleries. I mean, they're... You know, and most of them are out of business now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of like bad crooks. Um, yeah. There were some crooks that that uh, had a gallery here in San Antonio that um, that were running kind of a uh, you know a, a fraud game and really burned a lot of people, including me. Um, but there, there's several out there. I mean, and and of course there there are some great galleries out there, some really good gallery owners. Um, you know, they you know they they have it tough too because rents are going up like crazy. So most of these galleries that they increase rents are difficult. Um, a lot more artists are selling directly because of mm-hmm. social media, so they're not making as much money because of that. So there's a balance for them. Um, you know, and I've I've made pretty good friends with one or two of the gallery owners that I that I work with, and it's important to establish that kind of relationship. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and I and I approach things like you know, because nine times out of ten, collectors are going to want collectors want discounts when they come in and buy because they know they can unless you're mm-hmm. unless you're a completely hot selling artist and no one's going to even touch your work. You know, unless you know, unless it's up for auction or if it's a if it's for sale by draw, then you're in a different you're in a whole different seat. Which yeah. I'm not in that seat yet. So most of the work that I sell out of a gallery, you know, you know, goes out at a at a discount because collectors know they can do that. They do it with most most work that sits in a gallery. They'll come in and they'll be like, eh you know, would you take 10% less for this or something like that? So I always just price accordingly. Mm-hmm. So I work that into a price mm-hmm. and, you know, and sometimes somebody will, call, you know, one of the galleries will call me like, Hey, we get this guy, this is what he offered. Nine times out of 10 these days, um, I would rather move the painting and sell it and get it out versus just letting it sit back in back when I first started out, I was a lot more, um, stubborn about that kind of thing mm-hmm. and it didn't it did, did me no good because a the gallery doesn't like it if they can't make the sale and you're being stubborn mm-hmm. and you know and of course b it's you know money out of your pocket right so i mean and and because back then everything i painted i thought was just like oh i'll never be able to paint this again and this is oh. a relic and it's like you know but these days i'm just like yeah get it done just out the door mm-hmm. um I mean, I, you know, I, I put a lot of love and, and thought into my work, but 
I'm not as, it's not as precious to me as it used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, which is another reason I stopped painting my family members. Um, cause I used to paint my wife and kids a lot and I just, I couldn't sell any of that stuff because I didn't want to, you know? So, mm-hmm. but that's what I had at the time. And I was putting in the galleries and I'm like, they're like, well, we got this, you know, somebody wants to buy this painting of your wife and child, but they only want to pay, you know, 30% less. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to sell that for that. So that's, that's the other rub is like, pick something that, you know, pick up a, a genre and subject matter that you can paint that you're not really attached to in the sense of like you're it's near and dear to your heart and you can't make that because it's at the end of the day, it's business transaction. You know, this is, you know, you're making a widget and you're selling it for this price <laughs> and that person wants that widget for the wall. Uh, but if it's, you know, if that widget is like, you know, looks like one of your family members that you don't want to give up, probably not something you should be doing in a business transaction unless you can just completely let go and like, you know, so. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah. That's a very good point. So that's, yeah. 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 Um, and you said something that, you know, I was like, huh, of course, you know, like, you know, taking into account that galleries do have, you know, these special deals with a lot of their collectors because, you know, it's usually repeat buyers, right? Like, uh, for example, Clint, the the founder of Faso, he talks a lot because he used to be a, a gallerist. Um, he talks a lot about right, how, right, like, right. He, yeah, he, he actually he was at the gallery that he left the gallery that burned me here in oh San Antonio. No. And he knows all about that. So, yeah. Oh, man. He was to ask him. He. He he like he left that, you know, the, the owners were different and they sold so the, the guys that he was working with, they mm-hmm. had sold to a this crook who bought it. <gasps> and uh it was a it, I could write a movie, I could write a book about that whole episode, but oh man for another time. <laughs> yeah. Um wow, I'm gonna have to ask him about that. Um, but yeah, he did mention that when he was a gallerist, oftentimes the it was always like 10% of the collectors that they had they were the ones buying like 80 percent. oh yeah it was like yeah they would just buy 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 they wouldn't even look at the piece well, sometimes like they just call right it's it's almost an addiction uh yeah. for some collectors and i would love to be able to make friends with some addicts like that uh, i have all the wrong addicts in my life at this point but uh oh no but no they um there are uh yeah some you know a lot there are some collectors out there that are you got some that are collecting for the for the uh you know for just because they have to have it and they love it and they Mm -hmm. want it on their walls then you have some that are just collecting for the business transaction for the for the investment yeah yeah um usually you like to find the collectors that are kind of in between that but the the Mm -hmm. ones that are like gotta have it or you know they just, they run out of wall space. And, you know, those are the ones that, that, you know, those are the ones that are actually really good, but a lot of times yeah. they're the ones that are going to want the discount, you know? Exactly. So exactly. You never know. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a very good thing to keep into account, uh, when you're pricing your work with the gallery. And then I did want to ask you, uh, and I know I didn't include this in the questions that I sent you over, but I was curious, like normally when you sign with a gallery, you have a contract, right? Um, do you have any experience um, with that or the only time there's an actual signed contract at the very beginning is if mm-hmm. it's an exclusive agreement. 
Like mm -hmm. if, if you sign on exclusively with one gallery and that's the only gallery you can sell with, or if there's, they want an exclusive agreement to a particular uh, radius around the city. Right. So, um, but most of the galleries I'm dealing with these days, it's all consignment agreement. So when right. you drop something off, they give you a consignment agreement. The terms are on there. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, the gallery up in um, Fredericksburg, there was a, uh, I'm trying to remember. There was a time when they had, um, where they were kind of saying, you know, don't be in any, you know, I think there's a, there, it's, and it's also kind of an unspoken rule. Don't be in another gallery in the same city or at least in the same, like, 200 mile radius. Right. So, um, but I show, you know, I show my Western work with them. And then I have, there's another little small boutique gallery here in San Antonio that I just, I have a, a couple of my like older pretty lady paintings in there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's completely different types of work. Uh, right. And I don't put any Western work here in town. So it's not a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. But, um, but typically, if you're signing a contract with a gallery, it's typically, and it should be terms that are agreeable for both parties. Like, they need to promise you X amount of, um, you know, obviously, they, they tell you up front what your percentage is. And then they also need to, they need to tell the artist, they need to tell you, the artist, what they're going to do for you for that percentage. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if it's just sitting on the wall and they're, you know, but are they going to run an ad for you? Are they going to promote you actively? Right. Um, are they going to call their their collectors and say, hey, I've got this, you know, new artist? Those are the things that the good galleries will do. Mm -hmm. Not all of them do that. Um, so, and a lot of times you can iron that out in a contract. Um, but lately my experience has been... Um, it's not, it's just kind of a email thing and it's back and forth. This is what we pay. This is how we pay and when we pay it. Um, and then it's consignment agreements only. So interesting, but you know, always, always, you know, read everything through still a lot of questions. Don't be, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't think you're coming off dumb um, mm -hmm. because some of these galleries, some of these galleries are actual crooks and they're, and they will prey on, there's not as many around anymore, I don't think, because I think, you know, a lot of them got washed out by COVID and, and social media actually, um, you know, there are actual Facebook forums where, you know, people, mm -hmm. you know, they're private forums where they'll talk about galleries and other artists will ask questions about certain galleries or, or that'll just, it'll just go viral. It'll be like this, you know, an artist who's owed money and they'll put it out there say, this guy screwed me and, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah, it's hard to let, hide. Let the public be your judge. You know? Exactly. So. Yeah. I, I love that about, you know, today's uh, social media culture. It's a, a, I feel like in, in a way, it's also united a lot of artists in, you know, the transparency of how Most things definitely. should be run. At Bold Brush, we inspire artists to inspire the world because creating art creates magic. And the world is currently in desperate need of magic. Boldbrush provides artists with free art marketing, creativity, and business ideas and information. This show is an example. We also offer written resources, articles, and a free monthly art contest open to all visual artists. 
We believe that fortune favors the bold. Brush. And if you believe that too, sign up completely free at boldbrushshow.com. That's B-O-L-D-B-R-U-S-H show.com. The Bold Brush Show is sponsored by Basso. Now more than ever, it's crucial to have a website when you're an artist, especially if you want to be a professional in your career. Thankfully, with our special link, faso.com forward slash podcast, you can make that come true and also get over 50% off your first year on your artist website. Yes, that's basically the price of 12 lattes in one year, which I think is a really great deal considering that you get sleek and beautiful website templates that are also mobile friendly, e-commerce, print on demand in certain countries, as well as access to our marketing center that has our brand new art marketing calendar. And the art marketing calendar is something that you won't get with our competitor. The art marketing calendar gives you day-by-day, step-by-step guides on what you should be doing today, right now, in order to get your artwork out there and seen by the right eyes so that you can make more sales this year. So if you want to change your life and actually meet your sales goal this year, then start now by going to our special link, faso.com forward slash podcast. That's F-A-S-O dot com forward slash podcast. Yeah, which Most I think is, is an excellent, excellent thing that has happened. Um, the yeah. downside is, of course, those people who will send relentless messages saying, I want to buy your artwork as NFTs, uh, <laughs> which we all know those yeah, are scammers. Well, I get, <laughs> yeah, I get, I get five of those a day. It's just... <laughs> You know, it's, it's, I just stopped replying to them, but, um, yeah, but the, uh, yeah, but, but the, the downside of what's happened with, uh, with, well, with, with social media and YouTube, and I think this also applies to musicians as well, Mm -hmm. is that suddenly you're not as rare as you think you were, you know, like, you know, like with musicians, like, guitarists like great guitarists or great pianists like mm-hmm. suddenly only the you know back, way back before social media it's like you had people that were being promoted that were great it's like oh a child mm-hmm. prodigy but then like nowadays it seems almost common because there's so many of them out there and mm-hmm. so it really waters down the supply you know it really waters things down in the art market because there's so many great artists out there i mean mm-hmm. just think of how many all these art schools like Florence Academy and, and, you know, all these, you know, Water Street and all these schools that are just pumping out art student after student that are just, that are very talented and they've got, you know, they get to a certain level and it's like, okay, well, you know, they're all really good. Um, so the only way you can separate yourself from them is, well, what do I have to say that's different from them? You know, what do I have mm-hmm. to say? How do I say it? Um, you know, figure out what they're missing. Yeah. You know, you have all these great artists and, and it's a pack of like great artists that are moving in one direction, but it's like, okay, well, what are they missing? And if you figure out what they're, what's missing, you'll be the one that's standing out above the crowd. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, um, I, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, cause I graduated from Grand Central Atelier, so I, uh, I know mm-hmm. how it is. Um, and yeah. yeah, they, they do, you know, when, when students come out of there, they graduate, they do amazing. But at the same time, you know, it really, at that point it's the, okay, now what? Right. It's like, now what are right? you going to do with exactly. all of this? What are you going to do with everything you've learned? I mean, right. you do anything. And I feel like that's the the biggest challenge that a lot of those students face after attending those academies. Um, there's only, but, there's only so much wall space at Arcadia Gallery. 
so and that's that's um, that's how it is and it's like mm-hmm. and and because a lot of the other galleries that used to show their work you know you know Steve, I mean, Steve's really hung in there and he's done great, you know, mm-hmm. but there used to be a lot more galleries that sold that work. But I think a lot of them yeah. got kind of washed away over the years. And, um, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's why I don't even I won't even go near the competitions anymore. I won't enter my work anymore because I can't compete with a lot of the, the these wow. younger artists that are coming out of these, you know, coming out of the schools like, you know, like like yourself, you know, I mean, they're, they're training so many technically prolific artists that mm-hmm. I don't even, and I've had this conversation with my peers that are my age and, you know, who are also, who have been like, re, like really revered artists. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's no reason to compete anymore because, you know, some of these artists are just fantastic and they're, you know, they, you know, it, it's not, it's not, uh, it, it's become very common for artists to get really good if they've got the drive and the skill and the mm-hmm. time and the money, you know? Um, so for me, I'm just like, I'm not going to compete anymore. I'm not going to, you know, I did that years ago and I just, I have no interest in doing it, doing it on that level, you know, mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll hang out my shingle to dry and, and put my, my art in galleries. And if it sells, it sells, you know, um, and I'll just keep reinventing myself that way. You know, what's the next painting? What's the next interesting painting? Um, that's the way I have to look at it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's some artists, you know, there's, I look at uh, artists like Scott Burdick and Sue Lyon, you know, they've reinvented themselves so many times and they're doing such a great job at, they, they produce so much interesting work mm-hmm. and, um, and that's actually a good way of approaching it because, you know, being a realist artist, you know, there's only so much realism or figurative classical realism that you can do that it, that, I mean, it doesn't get old in the sense that, you know, I love looking at it. I love, Mm -hmm. and I respect what goes into it, but at some point you have to go beyond and start designing, start designing the work and start creating something more than just a very still image of a figure or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I, it took me a long time to learn, understand that, not learn it, to understand it. Because I, you know, it's, it's a very, it, you know, when you can learn a map to master, um, you know, replicating something in a realist tradition, um, that's like a big feat for a lot. It's a, it's a great feat to get to. And, mm-hmm. but once you get there, it's like, okay, well, what's next? And, um, you know, like we were saying, it's, it's just, it's really, um, it's a, it's, it's something you have to come to understand to, to move beyond. And I've seen other people do it, um, that were my peers, you know, some of my peers, they just got tired of rendering, but I'm sick of rendering. <laughs> well, I got to a point where I got tired of rendering. I don't want to render anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's, but and then there'll be other people that just absolutely love it. They can just yep. lock in. They can zone in. Like guy like Dan Daniel Sprick, like he's been painting just incredible mm-hmm. work for so many years, and I just don't know how. Like he must have some kind of a a brain function where he can just turn off all the noise and just zone in on what he's doing. Like I cannot do that. 
Mm-hmm. No, first of all, I live in a house with four kids. So I can't sit and render something because my studio's in my house and yeah. I can't, I cannot just turn things off, you know, and I have, and I'm, you know, I've got to walk away from my easel a lot just because I can't focus, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's some kind of attention deficit and say, I've never been diagnosed with any of that, but I probably have it because <laughs> I, and I, but I literally can't sit there and just render. I used to, when I was younger, you yeah. know, I was in art school and all that. I could do it then, but the older I get, I'm like, Ugh, can't these things just paint themselves? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I totally feel that. Um, I'm actually diagnosed and I can assure you, uh, I would say majority of painters probably have undiagnosed ADHD. Um, and probably one of the reasons you could do it at school is because you had to. Um, that's like one of the biggest motivators, uh, for people with ADHD. It's like, oh, you have to, so there's no choice. But when you're left to your own devices, it's like, I don't want (laughs) to. Well, and there had to be some kind of, there had to be some kind of like a feeling of competition also helped. That too. Like, I'm sure you guys, I'm sure you guys had it at your school. We had it at ours and (laughs) it was like, it's like, who's competing, you know, who's going to get the the nod of the teacher, you know, who's going to get the pat on the back for the week. I mean, and that's been going on since time immemorial in in every art school. So Mm -hmm. I think that's why, you know, a lot of these, a lot of, academy students and you know they produce the best work because they're under the the harshest conditions yeah and they don't have to worry about you know you know there's no real thought of having to sell it and it's just you know you're you know you're just dumping pure time energy Mm -hmm. into it not worrying about money exactly exactly and that's a very good point that's really yeah mm -hmm. you know that that brings up the whole idea of like man, you know, I could totally just focus on one painting for a month, right? But if you want to make a living, unless you're very, very wealthy right. and it's you don't just, have to care, it, yeah. no, it's it's almost irresponsible. Yeah. Um, but like a really great example of someone who's transcended that, right, is Audner Drum. He maybe paints six paintings a year, and that's a lot. Um, right, right. Because he's at, you know, late stages of his career. He has collectors. He's, right. of course. he's relaxing. So he has, you yeah. know, he just chills. But, you know, until you reach that point, right, you definitely have to take into consideration, like, okay, I got to pay my bills and, you know, I got to do this. I got to do that. Um, how course, do I supplement yeah. my income? You know, like workshops or teaching or, you know, doing studio sales, um, which, Again, unless you're very, very wealthy, this is what you got to do. Um, and I'd say the majority right, of the painters right. that I have interviewed have absolutely not come from wealth and have, no. you know, no. definitely, you know, lit their asses on fire and said, I'm going to freaking do this no matter what. And uh, right, I wanted right. to ask you, you know, how was that like for you to jump from, you know, working for these these entertainment industries and to jump right into like full-time artists? Like I quit these jobs and now I'm just going to focus on this. What was that like? It was very difficult. It was extremely mm-hmm. difficult. And I went through, um, which is part of the reason I moved here to Texas was because, um, you know, we didn't, we never went into foreclosure or anything like that uh, because I had a lot of equity in my home there in California. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was very tough. I mean, it was, you know, income was going like this when I was working. And then when I stopped, the income went like this and the bills went like that. You know, and yeah. it was, and of course we had, I had three young kids at the time too. And, um, so, it, you know, that was, 
a big factor in the decision to move here to Texas because it's just much more affordable here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, uh, but I had, you know, there's things as, as you have to do as an artist um, to survive, you know? So I had to do a lot of freelance. I did a lot of um, commission work that I didn't want to do, you know, mm-hmm. but you got to do it. Um, so it, it's not, it was not an easy process and it's still, you know, it still can be a very scary scenario. Um, you know, COVID for COVID was scary, but oddly enough, you know, the galleries were doing well and they were able to move work during COVID. I, I never saw that coming. Didn't think that mm-hmm. that would be able to happen, but it did, you know, people were just at home looking at blank walls. So like, well, I think I'm going to do this and, you know. Yeah, and it, it, that worked out. So, but um, no, you, you just have to you have to do what's right um, by your situation. Um, you know, if you're if you you know, it's a different situation if you're married with a family. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to kind of make decisions based on that. You know, I, as you know, and I'm sure most artists know, being an artist is a very solitary selfish life and um you know and a lot of times your spouse is not going to understand a lot of decisions that you make and and that you know that initial decision well i'm gonna you know i'm gonna do i'm gonna be a fine artist full-time and i'm gonna do this and then it's trying to explain that to your significant other is is it's not a good conversation and that that a lot of times that's held against you. And um, Mm. so I had to make a lot of concessions. I had to, you know, I had to still work on a certain level. I could still, you know, I could still do advertising if I need to Um, just because I'm, I, I I was good at that. It's kind of brainless work to me just because I did it for so many years. Um, And, and it also helps for marketing my work too. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of artists don't know how to market their work. Um, so I was able to do that. And I, and since I was in, when I was in the entertainment industry, I was doing a lot of video work as well. I did a lot Mm. of um, editing. I did a lot of, um, uh, motion graphics. So back in like 2006, when the housing market was really taking a dive in, in, Mm. uh, United States, um, you know, that was affecting artists because, you know, collectors were not spending money on art. So a lot of my, you know, myself included, that's kind of when I went, um, I got laid off from one of the movie studios at that point. So I had nothing going. So back then I created the first online, uh, live art school. So I, I worked with my cousin who was, a a, a web programmer. Um, a really, a really good one. And so he and I kind of put this website together. It's still around. It's called Zeroya.com. Um, I haven't updated it in many years in the sense of how it, the functionality of it. But what I did was I was at the time I, I put my, my drawing teacher, um, I, we did live classes online that people could watch. We had people all over the world because Glenn was very well known. He was a very well known um, comic book uh, illustrator. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had people all over the world chiming in and they could ask questions. They could type, 
in and ask questions and no one else was doing it at the time. Wow. Of course, nowadays it's like everywhere, you know, people have it everywhere. But, um, but that, you know, and so that was getting, that was getting money for my artist friends. So I would put my artist friends, you know, I did one with Dave Kasson, um, did one or two with him. And then we did, um, we did, I did one with Logan Ajej. Uh, we did, uh, you know, I did a whole class of Glenn's, you know, a couple semesters of classes of Glenn's. And I'm so glad I did because it's the only video of him in a classroom, you know, like working. Yeah. So, um, so we have his education, his knowledge in terms of the the classes. And of course, all the, the dry jokes, he was wildly funny. Um, so, but those are the kind of things that I had to just kind of pivot like, okay, well, I'm not selling any work and I'm not making money at my day job because I have no day job anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. So what do I do? So you just, you always have to like pivot. You, uh, yeah. you know, as the, as the old, uh, the U S Marines, you have to improvise, overcome and adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to just figure out what's next. What can I do? Uh, and there's just, you know, I feel like my life has been, nothing but that trying to figure out, okay, well, that's not working. Let's try this. Let's try that. And, you know, you eventually keep slugging along. Something will click, something will happen, you know? So, um, but that's kind of where I, where I've landed these days, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's just, I just paint and produce and I try to put out as much work as I can. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's the complex part, you know, about being a an artist. Um, you know, you definitely like you said pivoting and and supplementing income in different ways and a lot of problem solving, you know. It's so funny how being an artist is so much problem solving in the canvas and outside of the canvas. Um, right. but then also um, you know, being being prepared for those moments when oh my god, the economy just completely crashed. Um, now what? Right. Which I've interviewed quite a few artists who, you know, they went through that as well, obviously because their careers began before. And they all talk about how freaking awful it was, how hard it was. Um, And of course, you still overcame because, you know, that's the part of adapting, right? You still have to, you got to do something. Um, And the other challenging bit, right, is production, right? As an artist, you are the producer the salesman, the everything. Um, So, so much of your income depends on production. Um, And it's obvious, but when you really consider it, it's kind of, it can become a burden, Um, especially if, you know, if it's, if a person who wants to be an artist is seeking something a little bit maybe easier. Um, It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily an easy career unless you enjoy painting so much that you can just produce, 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 right? So, yeah. Oof. Yeah, you make some really great points. Um, and then you personally, do you like to or like do you use social media to sell some of your work or do you leave that all in the hands of the gallery? Um, I do both. I'll put it out there. Sometimes I'll put it out there and see if anybody bites. Um, but there are, you know, and it also depends on how well the gallery is doing for me. If I, mm-hmm. If a gallery is like actively you know, pushing my work and they're selling a lot of it, I'll give them first right of refusal. I'll send it to them say, Hey, you interested in taking this? 
Um, you know, but, but if, you know, if, if I don't see a gallery actually promoting me actively or whatever, and I just happen to be in their stable, you know, they'll be the last ones to get it because, right. you know, it's just, I, 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 it's a reward system for me. It's like, if you're going to, you're going to get rewarded with new work, if you're selling the old, if, if you're selling what's there, but if you've just put my work, you know, on some back wall, I don't bother. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's only fair. You know, um, if they're not, it's, per, it's performance. It's all based on performance. Exactly. I mean, they shouldn't. Uh, they shouldn't expect any. Uh, I guess like any reward for not doing their job, right? I mean, if they're not actively yep, seeking exactly. out the, the collector, it's like why? Um, and that's again another great point to make, especially if anyone listening to this podcast is really looking into working with galleries, um, which. I've heard also some people compare it to a marriage, right? Where they th- they say this, if it, you know, it can it can be really, really good or it can be really, really bad. And if it's great, you know, it's probably a lifetime. Um, and if it's bad, right. you know, this is, oof, it can be very bad. Um, right. But exactly. yeah, but, you know, we have more of a hybrid sort of situation these days. So it, you know, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of room for everyone. I do hope in the near future, you know, because of the rise of AI and all these things that there might actually be more people interested in actual real artwork. Um, and hopefully we may see more galleries popping up. I'm crossing my fingers. Um, because, you know, it's, uh, I, I like the old traditional gallery system. It has its faults. Um, you know, nothing's perfect, but you know, a really good gallerist can really make a a very big difference in someone's life. Um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I hope you don't mind. I also wanted to ask you just really quick about your work, um, because I really wanted to ask that we dove, dove right into like the galleries and I was like, Oh, this is fascinating. Um, but I wanted to know how, how has illustration, you know, how has it influenced your work today? Well, for what I do today, it's, um, you know, the illustration part of most of the, most of the respected western artists that i follow and have followed forever have all started started their careers as illustrators and a lot of them were illustrators and their work just turned into fine art because it became valuable Mm -hmm. um because a lot of the a lot of the um a lot of the illustrators uh like you know like maynard dixon um he did a lot of illustration work for Sunset Magazine and some of these other magazines, you know, way in, in, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, the work was used as illustration initially, and then they also did they also did fine art on the side. You know, they would paint other paintings that weren't necessarily used for illustrations, but you know, they were more well known for their illustrations back then. But um, you know, so. And, and of course, when we were in school, um, everything that Glenn would reference was usually he was referencing an illustrator unless it was Sargent um, mm-hmm. and occasionally Soroya. But most of his references were, you know, Dean Cornwell or Frank Brangwen or, um, you know, Norman Rockwell was like his number one guy that he always talked about. And of course, Norman Rockwell, I mean, you know, his his work now is, of course, 
super expensive and it's like revered by the fine art museums all around, but it's all, it was all illustration. You know, it was, it was, you know, I mean, he, I think he started doing some more fine art, fine arty type work later in his career, but you know, the early stuff, it was all done for illustration. So it lends itself. And I think the most successful, some of the most successful Western artists and, and fine artists, um, you know, started out as, as illustrators. I mean, Mm -hmm. Howard Turpening being one of them. I mean, I think he, his, he's probably the highest, the highest sold living Western artist. Um, his work sells the highest and he's still living, thankfully. Um, but he was, he was a movie poster. He did the gone with the wind movie poster. I mean, that was, that's his background. Like he, yeah, he was a big movie poster guy. Then he moved into uh, other types of illustration, and you know, and really, the genre that I work in—it's you're you're telling story, which is what illustration is. So you're telling story, whether it's about, and it's mostly historical, or it's, or you're telling a story of a scene. I mean, it could be contemporary cowboy or native work. Um. But it's very much illustration in the sense of you're illustrating story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of it, it works hand in hand, you know. Yeah, no, you know, I'm actually I, I love talking to artists who have begun as illustrators because I feel like they have this advantage, um, which is that they they have to see the narrative of things before, you know, like the narrative almost becomes a precursor to the design and to the development of a finished piece instead of someone just making a finished piece and then adding narrative on top, which tends to happen um, with a lot of realist painters who are especially, you know, the ones who have trained in academic schools. Um, The narrative almost seems like a a secondary thing, uh, which I think is kind of disappointing. Yeah, but with illustration, you know, it is the primary thing. How do you story tell through the gesture how do you story tell through the composition, the colors? Like it's so complex. Mm-hmm. Right. So I do think, uh, you know, for for painters who want to be narrative, you know, definitely looking at illustration and reading about illustration and trying it out is probably one of the better things to do um, because you know sure. there's there's skill for skill's sake, but then there's you know illustration which elevates narrative, which is you know the goal of a lot of realist painters. I would say is to become a narrative painter. Yeah. And there's so much more, there, there's much more deeper concepts and discussions of composition and, and design in illustration, which you may or may not get in an, in a, like a, a, a fine art Academy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we actually had in, in our drawing classes, we had specific exercises Glenn would give us. Whereas he would take, he would have us take, um, old, uh, you know, book covers, like novel covers of like, uh, you know, or, or pulp, pulp magazine covers or pulp novel covers and recreate them. We'd have to shoot our classmates. We would take pictures of our classmates and recreate the, the scene in charcoal, you know, and obviously blow because, you know, there was little novel covers, but, you know, um, we'd have to recreate them or we could, we could use like, we could do like fake movie posters and, and do that. But there was, 
And so you're learning so much more about composition, design, um, pattern of light and dark, the abstract of it versus um, in some realist academy where you're just learning to, you know, site size method and all that. That's It's a completely different way of learning. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just for what I ended up doing. Um, I mean, it was definitely an illustration school, which is what, mm-hmm. and I, and that was the whole reason I went there. That's why my brother went there. He was specifically going there to be an illustrator. Right. Yeah. And which he did, you know, so, yeah. but, and it, but it naturally lends itself to the Western art world, which is why there are so many illustrated ex illustrators as Western artists. Right. It so. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. Um, and I love that. I actually want to really look into illustration too, because I, you know, having gone to two academic schools, um, you know, like hoping to learn something about composition, um, as much as I had hoped. Uh, so I'm, I think looking into illustration is probably my next best step. Um, but get any book, any book by, uh, Andrew Loomis, get oh, any yes. book from him. Cre- creative illustration is probably the best one. Ooh. And that's just, yes. I mean, it's still in print. Pick that up. It's got everything in there. I mean, it's, of course it's from the, you know, fifties, but, yeah. um, it's still, it, the, the information in there is still, it's just gold. It's just pure yes. gold. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had a high school teacher who she would tell me about Andrew Loomis and she had some of the PDFs of his books uh, in the, yep. the like classroom computer, which was really great. Um, so I think I'll definitely revisit that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask you to please tell us about the Night of Artists show that's happening in March. Right. So um, every year there's a show here in San Antonio at the Briscoe Museum of Western Art. Um, last year was my first year in the show. As was it was um, Jeremy Lipking's first year in the show. So he got to come out. We hung out for uh, he stayed with us and he and his wife. He and I have known each other since art school and mm-hmm. um, we've been really good friends since then so and our kids grew up together when we lived in LA so um so anyway so they um so they do this show here every year and they they invite uh the best some of the best western artists from around the country it's I want to say I think it's I want to say it's about 65 artists or so give or take a few um, and it's all, usually it starts out, it's a whole weekend of things. There's this, there's an auction, um, and then there's a couple of nights of show and sale. And then, uh, so I've done a few pieces that I have just getting photographed. I don't have them readily available yet, but, um, I'll be releasing those soon. So I'll have a minimum of three pieces, I believe in the show. So I work towards that and it's always a good time. It's fun. And uh, mm. get to see a lot of old friends who come to town. Um, not too many people come visit me here in Texas. Like they used to <laughs> in California. So, um, but it's good to, it's fun to see them. So, but I don't, you know, I don't teach uh, anymore. I, um, I used to teach heavily and uh, used to promote a lot of workshops and that kind of thing. I don't, I haven't, I'll probably, I probably will do a workshop um, next year somewhere. I'm not sure where. Um, I, I'm thinking maybe Scottsdale or 
Um, I'm not opposed to just something exotic either. I'd love to do those, but see that the rub is, is that there are so many other great artists that, that are actively teaching and that kind of thing. It's like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the places of teaching has kind of, that's, that's gotten watered down so much too, because there's so many other great, because of social media. Like I, I couldn't, I had, you know, but prior to social media, I had so many people contacting me to do workshops. And nowadays it's like, you don't hear it because it's like, you just browse around on Instagram. They're like, Oh my God, that guy's great. Or this girl's great. Oh my God, this girl, look at that. And then, you know, they just, and so it's like, you know, it's not a, um, and again, I taught for 20 years, so I, I just, I just got burned out. You know, I, after yeah. a while I hear myself, I hear myself talking and I'm saying <laughs> the same thing over and over again, like teaching a weekly class. I just got burned out. I'm like, eh, I think I'm done teaching. And it's, you know, it's funny. I taught both adults and I taught, um, and I taught, uh, younger students and the younger students were good, but at the college level, um, I could not get them to get off their phones during figure drawing classes. Right. So they would be on their phones, like watching. So I taught, I taught here at, um, the university of Carnot word and I was teaching a figure drawing class for game designers. And so they weren't interested in the model that they were drawing. They were more interested in watching YouTube of, of other people playing video games on YouTube. Oh and I'm gosh. just like, okay, come on guys. So I had to tell kids no more, no more phones out. You can listen to music, but don't, you know, don't, you know, you got to pay attention to the model. So that got, yeah. that got old real fast. I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. And then teaching adults, it's, it's like everybody already, you know, they, if, if an adult's taken one drawing class, they think they know everything. And when you <laughs> teach them painting, it's like nine times out of 10, everyone's problems is the drawing and not the painting. It's yes. like, well, I already took a drawing class. So I don't want to do that. And it's like, so it, it, again, it was just like this, you know, chasing students. And I'm just like, eh, I just don't oh, want to do man. this anymore. It's like, yeah. so at some point I will probably do a, a rare workshop, Ooh. but you know, at this point, I'm just not, not into it anymore. Totally understand that. Um, you know, I, it's so funny that you say, you know, these, these older students are, are very stubborn. Um, and it's so funny. It's like, you can't, you can't render yourself out of a bad drawing. You just can't. I right? mean, exactly. That's 90%. Exactly yeah, ninety percent of an excellent painting is excellent drawing. The rest is just the cherry on yep. top. Like you cannot, Absolutely. you just cannot overcome that. Um, but yep. you know, a lot of people don't get that because they are so. I guess they romanticize the uh, the the rendering part. Like, oh, the rendering is what makes it pretty. It's like, no, if you have a really messed up face and you perfectly render the, yeah. that face, it's just it's still going to look deformed, no matter how right. wonderful you right. render, unless that's the intention. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly I mean, it. I would, I would consider taking a workshop with you. I feel like, uh, I would want to learn more about, you know, the, the illustrative techniques and storytelling. I feel that that's, you know, something that's lacking so much. Um, and something that would be a really good thing to do a workshop on is, you know, the narrative illustrative approach to fine painting, you know, so that might be, yeah, there's not a lot of people that do that because 
it, it that's a, it's a very complex subject and it takes a long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, most of the workshops that are out there, it's just like, you know, head painting with so-and-so or yeah. figure painting with that person or, yeah. you know, or still life painting with that person. It's, you can do those like on a three to five day, or you can even do a one day yeah. and it's easy for the artist to get in and out a composition workshop. That's like a, that takes a lot of prep and a lot of planning mm-hmm. would be great. I'm, I'd love to take one myself, but, <laughs> but I had to, I had to learn the hard way and just, you know, I just, I just had to just learn it myself and just figure out what to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's one way, you know, you learn through just doing, um, I just right. wish, you know, like, I think, you know, just like you, ever, there are a lot of people out there seeking, you know, a composition course of some sort. Um, and thanks to the internet, uh, that might actually make it a lot easier. So something to consider. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely um, will. Yeah. But speaking of, you do have online courses, right? I do. Yeah. Well, I, I've got, I have a few DVDs that I've done in the past. It's just, they're, they're a la prima portrait dvds that i've done they're you know they're available on on my website and also on my zoroya website which is still there and zoroya is um z-a-r-o-l-l-a so it's it stands for uh zorn sergeant and zoroya it's the three they're three names that are combined into one which is where that name comes from but people thought it was like like people thought it was like zorilla like a gorilla with a z and i'm like no it's not zorilla so, <laughs> oh my god people are like who's like the, most people don't know who zorn or soroya is so yeah like, they don't know who any that? of those people are yeah, yeah. it's like who yeah. uh a really important painter from spain sir <laughs> right yeah 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 um but where else can people find more of your work so right now my work is in uh santa fe the meyer gallery and then also in Fredericksburg, Texas at Insight Gallery. Uh, here in San Antonio, I'm at NRK Gallery in Alamo Heights. And uh, I don't want to forget my good friend out in Scottsdale, T.H. Um, Brennan Fine Art. Um, so out on Main Street there in Scottsdale, my work is there. And uh, I think that's it for now. I'm trying to remember, there might be a... <laughs> There might be a couple of paintings scattered at some gallery that I've forgotten about and they've forgotten about me, but, oh. um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's about it. I did have one painting that was just acquired by, um, the, uh, Hilbert museum of California art, which is down in orange County in California. And that building is going up, I guess, next year because they're building a whole new museum and it's almost done from what I'm told. So that will be in the permanent collection there, which is kind of cool. And um, yeah, and then, of course, in in March here in San Antonio with the Briscoe Museum of Western Art, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Great. March, and, uh, I can't remember what it is, but. Yeah, but I'm sure uh, people can go to your website. <laughs> oh, yeah. I update that from now. The the, easy, the best way to follow me is Instagram. Everything Instagram, Facebook. That's that's what I do most of my updating on. So right. Uh, so what's your Instagram handle? So the Instagram handle is Tony Pro underscore Fine underscore Art. Perfect. So Tony Pro underscore Fine underscore Art. Awesome. Well, thank and you, I'm Tony. Floating around there. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for the lovely chat. Yeah. This was awesome. Hope you got something from it. Learned a few jokes and, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, heck yes.